All right, so here's the thing, man. In in uh, with with the Teaching Rockstar podcast, in that seat right there, or this seat, and uh, you know sometimes we switch back and forth. Um, brother, everybody that we have had on the show has reached some level of success in life. Man, it might be um, uh, you know financial success. It might be in education. We've had. I mean, dude, we had a hypnotist on the show. You know, we've had. And 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 the thing is. When, when we find somebody that has reached a certain level of success and we go back and we look at this like timeline that led up to it, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times there's some uh, um, congruency there with all their stories. Typically, they did well in school. Typically, they had two parents that were both supportive, stayed together, and they're doing this traditional family thing. Mm-hmm. Typically, they, they went to high school and they were involved in stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, school made sense to them. They were able to, they learned in a style that where they were able to sit in a chair for long periods in <laughs> alphabetical order and do what they're told and not ask questions. You color inside the lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. the whole thing, right? And then, and so, you know, and, and because of that, because they fit the mold of school, not necessarily the school fit them, but and both maybe, but they, but because of that, they've able to reach some sort of success. And, and, and that's the thing. That's why you're here. You're successful as well. You're successful at your thing. And like you found your passion in life and you've been successful in, in poetry, uh, years ago. And I know you, you, have you ever seen my daughter? Oh, I did. She, I saw her sacrifice, sacrificial slam yeah, dude. piece the other day. She'll slam good. it down. Yeah, that's cool. I know. And so, um, and so you did your spoken word, even feature on uh, HBO, I read at one point. I was trying out for a couple of things that they were doing. Yeah. yeah. Didn't actually end up on HBO, but it came close. There you go. And we, uh, and dude, you've been successful in yoga, and you're doing your parkour thing in the IT business, and you've been, you know, done some corporate training around the world. Mm-hmm. But the difference with you, brother, is that story that led up to where you are right now in the beginning years, I feel is very different than the typical successful person who's doing what they love and figure and have found a way to follow their passion and make some money at it. Probably. Probably. So that's a dude. That's why you're here because my goal is with this podcast is when we met for lunch uh, months ago and, and chatted it up at the cafe express over a couple of burgers. Mm -hmm. Um, man, I, you know, I, I, you you had this story that I heard that it's like the tip of the iceberg and I kind of chopped it off right there because I wanted to save it for now because my hope is, you know, there's going to be some teacher that watches this and sees you and or hears us talking about it and you know as kids come into the classroom in the first uh, week of school next year and well you know on the first day and as they come that kid every kid (laughs) comes through the door a teacher's going to get like this emotional trigger this feeling about that kid and some kids come in they have cute little outfits you know and they sit in the front row and they can't wait and, yeah, yeah. you know and and you know that kid and they have back to school supplies and can't <laughs> wait to use them and stuff's color-coded and and then there's other kids that come in no backpack got the black hoodie on they take the seat closest to the door in the back row yeah. and there are teachers when they see that kid they think oh Nine months yeah, with that I one. Got another one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Nine months, yeah. and um, and so what I hope today is um, what we can instill in in the minds and hearts of some educators is you know what that uh, we that that kid that might be sitting in the back row there might be something special within that kid, mm. yeah. and 
And you know what? Maybe we're not going to see like this dramatic change in the life of that kid, but maybe what we can do is just plant some seeds. Because if we can make, you know, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, we what we want as teachers, man, or as just people in general, we want change. We want we want people that we want to help people. We want, and we would love to have this monumental mountaintop experience of revolutionizing a kid's life. Yeah, of course. And see that overnight transformation, but in reality. Rarely does that yeah, happen in the classroom. But even even if it's the tiniest speck, I'm talking like a grain of sand on the beach. Yeah, man. That helps. one little grain. Because you never know. Because over time, now we've put this kid on a new path, just like you. Got, at some point in your life, got on a different path. Because, brother, you're on one path. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there was a little change. And over time, it, you now, now you're like in a whole different universe from where you started. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Almost the opposite of uh, most things you described in the ideal uh, stretch of uh, a typical success story, I yeah. guess you could say. Uh, divorced parents. Uh, uh, hang on, we're going to get to it. Hang on. <laughs> Let's get the show started. We haven't even got the Man, that's a thing. Guy like you, we get right into it. And we, uh, man, we have to do the official music and give the, Lang Freeman some credit. Lang Freeman from Sounds Under Radio. Man, if you don't know about that guy and what he does, he lives in Austin, Texas, makes some amazing music, great records, and uh, uh, was, um, uh, you know, I just don't give this guy credit enough. Is just awesome enough to let us use some of his music on our show. So if you ever get on iTunes, download some Lang Freeman and Sounds Under Radio stuff. You'll love it. You, you'll also hear their music on Vampire Diaries and um, uh, uh, some Superman soundtracks and things like that. Let's get this baby going. Yeah. Cameron Prado in the house. Here we go. We are officially rolling. Uh, now it's official. It was sort of official before. Yeah, yeah, it's... Plenty to talk about. You know it, baby. Teaching a Rockstar Podcast. Cameron Prado in the house. All right, here we go. It starts. The summer tour starts tomorrow at 6 a.m. I'm getting dropped off at the Hobby Airport, me, and a whole bunch of cases full of gear, and we're heading out to uh, Louisville. I've been working on my pronunciation of that city for, for about two years now. And, um, and I'm going to fly in there, rent a car, and drive across the state a little bit to Meade County. Meade County, Kentucky. We have some professional development happening there on Thursday with Meade County schools and teachers. About 90 teachers are going to pack the house. Have a great day. Talk about changing the lives of kids. Also, we have a few dates left this summer. If you go to the website, click on Rock Your Schoolhouse. That's going to send some information to Georgia. She'll contact you, set the whole thing up. All right, Cameron Proud is in the house. Here's the thing, brother. You are uh, currently in Houston, Texas, man. You are one of the owners, founders, directors, and um, all-around everything guy for Urban Movement. Yes, sir. Tell us about it. Uh, Urban Movement, we teach people how to move is the simplest way that I put it to just about anybody. And then if, uh, if... like yourself they appear to be more interested than we just have a little bit more uh just a lot more philosophically and lifestyle wise that goes behind what we do and it's uh it beyond just teaching people how to move it just becomes uh a parkour becomes a, a personal a personal journey of self-development through movement and just trying to understand what our mental and physical limitations are and doing it in a safe way in a safe and in a rewarding way where people can 
start from the ground up and not feel threatened by some of the ridiculous videos that you can find out there when you try to find out what parkour is. Yeah, right? yeah. All right, so here's the funny thing about you, bro, is um, it's kind of like a Seinfeld episode because, like, you represent stuff that I used to make fun of, and now, like, I get it. I feel stupid for making fun about it. Like, so, like the first thing is like the poetry slam thing. Oh yeah. yeah so like yeah. so when that first started coming out, I was living in Austin, Texas, and I went to a couple. I was like, oh my god, this is like the most. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so the wife and I would go home, and and like all of a sudden she would turn to me because she goes, bang bang, the shots rang out. <laughs> Very dramatically, of course. Yeah, yeah, real. And so, um, and uh, and so we'd make fun of that. And then, um, and then parkour came along. And then I would always say, parkour, man, we used to call that playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now you got to have special shoes and pants and get a coach. Yeah. And so, um, but here's the crazy thing. So my daughter Lily is all in to uh poetry and poetry slam and like she's and she's and she's really good man yeah i heard her uh sacrificial slam yeah so piece. her thing is man she's too young to compete mm-hmm. you got to be i guess 13 i guess i don't know the rules and, these it, days yeah right and so for that for that group and but she goes she doesn't she goes to every competition mm. And she brings her work, and she is constantly writing, and she'll climb up on the roof on the garage and get up there and write in her journal. And she That's and cool. and like and yeah, it's so cool. And because she can't actually compete, what she'll she'll be the sacrificial poet, which means she'll go first. This is for people that don't know. Yeah, of course. You know, this is this is like a competitive sport yeah, almost. Subcultures, and, all kinds of right. stuff involved. And uh, and this it's, it helps the judges calibrate how they're going to score. So she goes first, and they judge her, and she gets scored. And bro, she's like her scores are like she's come like second place once time, third another, <laughs> and she's not even old yeah, enough, yeah. right? It's she's not so, even competing. Yeah. No, and and she absolutely is moved by the whole thing and loves it. And so what I used to make fun of, now I'm like I'm crying, you know. Yeah, and the, it can be a great <laughs> emotional outlet, not only yeah. for the readers but for the listeners too. Man, it's uh, and to see kids do right. it, and to see kids do it is yeah. is and, and your own kid, right? And they tell their most. It's their way to get their most intimate uh, emotions, the stuff that they think about. You know, I always tell parents, you know, every kid has their own little world going on in their head that mm-hmm. you have no idea. Yeah, yeah. And to watch a kid get that out, it's amazing. And then parkour, I used to make fun of that, of course, until my son Jones is all about parkour. He's, he's and, a little badass, too. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and so, like, just, I mean, just the other day, he's on his... We have, you know, all kind of trees and stuff in the yard. He there's this uh, tree has this limb, maybe three feet off the ground, and he climbs a tree, gets on that limb, and jumps off and and lands. With, you know, he's got he lands on his toes, his hands out, and I'm watching him. He does he does it like twenty times, like he's working. Nice, yeah, good on rep- his landing repetition. That's awesome. Yeah, right. Cool. And so I'm like, I'm thinking, man, this kid has like found his thing. So both my kids have like found their thing and the thing I used to make fun of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and to see and 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 to hear like Jones talk about parkour with his buddies. It's because he, he sounds like you talking That's about cool. it. That's cool. I'm glad um some got some of it's rubbing off and uh it's working, I guess. Yeah, it <laughs> is working. And um all right, so 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 that's just a little uh, taste of what what it is and where but let let's back it up because the the dude that sits here now is very different from the guy that was going to school. Oh, for sure. So 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 talk to us about that, man. So like in let's say, let's start back like in elementary school. And you know, man, ninety nine percent of the thousands of listeners we have are teachers and and what you know teachers are interested in are, you know, where, you know, of making the difference in the lives of kids. If we yeah. teach them all something along the way in terms of content, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
but you know, getting that kid to be a, a great person and a productive member and, and, and find their passion is what we all hope to do. And when you're sitting in that classroom, at what point, because I have a feeling the, the schools, the, the, the traditional school classroom probably didn't work for you. Uh, no, no, not very, no, not very, I was, uh, I was, uh, disciplined by having to like run the football field more often than right. uh, probably sitting in the class. So at, 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 at what point, like at what grade did you realize, Hey man, this ain't for me, this isn't working for me. I, hmm. I'm going to say around as soon as I changed from private school to a public school around like fifth or sixth grade going into Getting up to middle school, I think right before middle school, uh, I think after after the it was um, a Christian private school. So after having some of the forced studies of uh, some things that I kind of didn't even really feel that I was uh, even understanding f- uh, different from numbers and places and stuff like that, uh, mm-hmm. being taught something that I couldn't uh, understand like that uh, wasn't. I think in that period is definitely what lost my attention and then being able to have the freedom that comes with being in a public school. Once I moved to the public school, it was, uh, I was already a pretty clever kid getting away with a bunch of stuff and could hop fences really well. So I was, I was, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a nasty combination. Yeah, I was, I was wherever I wanted to be really other than, uh, paying attention to this education that uh, yeah. I don't know, wasn't being delivered in a way that I was able to absorb and stay interested in. Yeah. Cause I mean, just, I mean, obviously, you know, like we were talking about on that picture on the page, man, if you, if you haven't seen the picture of uh, Cameron on our podcast page, check it out. He's doing a handstand and tell us where you are there. Uh, it's in Belgium, Antwerp, Belgium on top of a museum. Right. And of course, if you, I mean, just like anybody, I mean, if you go to Belgium to visit museums, you might as well do a handstand on the top. Of course. And, um, <laughs> and so, um, and so when my wife sees that picture, she, she says, Oh my God, that thing makes me sick to my stomach. I can't even look at that. Look at it. I mean, Oh my God, he's going to fall. <laughs> and then, um, uh, but of course, like a teacher looks at that and they think uh, they get sick to their stomach too, because they think, Oh my God, thank God that kid didn't end up in my classroom when yeah, he was eight. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to deal with that one yeah, yeah. because obviously like you're more of a kinesthetic kid growing up, moving around. Yeah. And and so for you to be expected to sit for hours in a desk with somebody staring at the back of somebody's head right in front of you, two kids on either side of you, and paying attention to somebody at the front of the classroom probably yeah. probably wasn't working. Yeah, kind of. It's like these days when you have a conversation with someone and you can kind of see that they aren't really listening to you and they're just waiting to respond to what you have to say and not really paying very much attention. I was the one sitting. And wondering what I was going to do when I wasn't sitting anymore, rather than uh, absorbing uh, stuff, which is all it kind of was at that point to me. It's just stuff. And yeah. What can I do when I'm done with the stuff? Right. Yeah. And so fifth and sixth, man, that's when you start. You start. Um, things start going downhill. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's when I, 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 I felt like I started. For so, there was something in me that I was always sticking my finger in phone booths. I was always hustling in some way. I wanted to. I don't. I guess maybe I saw things. Maybe if it was media or my surroundings, I don't really know when that clicked. But for something, something happened where I felt like I needed things, like, and I needed to to hustle in whatever way that I could to to buy that skateboard or to buy that that new pair of shorts or that that like uh, pearl snap shirt button or something like that yeah. when I was younger, growing up, or, or always having a clean white pair of shoes. It was always this facade I felt like I needed to keep up. So 
being in school and learning that stuff at that point didn't help me get what I wanted at that point. So stop paying attention and and uh where were you at this point growing up i was in south florida i grew up in the southeast coast of florida oh, yeah palm, palm beach county this is uh man that's an interesting place to grow up there's a lot of stuff going on you know jerry you remember that cat jerry springer he said that show mm, kind of yeah. I, I heard him a, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's so much older yeah, than yeah. you bro no i know who he is all right sure. so he used to have this show with like you know who's the daddy of that baby and just crazy situation people getting fights <laughs> on the show or whatever and i was watching a oh, yeah, you know interview cool. with a springer and he says uh he goes, man, if it wasn't for Florida, I wouldn't have a television show. He's <laughs> <laughs> all the crazies coming out of Florida. <laughs> Some wackos coming out of Florida. Yeah, they don't call it the retirement stay for nothing. No. Right. And so, um, and anyway, so, uh, man, you're, you're, you're doing your thing, fifth and sixth. And um, at this point, man, you have uh, parents, married parents at this yeah, point? Yeah, and I guess that's kind of around the time my parents got divorced, too. So, uh-huh. I mean, I had, I've, I've already gone through all that stuff with them. They know that I let that kind of get to me. Well, I really let that get to me around that age. And, yeah, I guess that was kind of... Uh, a coinciding thing happening with that change of schooling too because i'm pretty sure at that age one of the reasons we changed schools from the private to the public was because of my parents going through a divorce because i'm sure that's hard for parents to keep affording all of the luxuries and all of that type of stuff so, yeah just yeah, got like a perfect storm right there man it's like uh, yeah yeah for sure and then like my brother was already kind of bad i guess at that age so i was having older brother older i'm the i'm the baby so or the youngest so i definitely that i wasn't uh i definitely didn't always surround myself with positive people i guess you could say there was always some sort of i was either the negative influence or i was around somebody that could be perceived as a negative influence and it's a recipe for disaster i think at that point yeah man so we you know you know i tell kids i say hey man check out who you're hanging i mean if you want to see who who you're going to be in five years just just look at who you're hanging out with yeah there you go and i didn't it took me so long to understand that and if somebody told you that they wouldn't you wouldn't believe them anyway probably not at that point not if they just came out and told me directly for sure yeah and so all right so man so at some point i i know things are going to get nasty now on this podcast man you, you know you can um Offer up as much uh, detail as you want, or 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 you know you can omit some things as you as what like whatever you want. But man, you know I, I mean if you're at a point in your life where um you know you want to be honest and get it all out, man, let it fly. Oh man, yeah, I've I, that used to be part of my poetry slams was talking about all the stuff that I had been through. So yeah, I mean there's not very much that. Uh, <laughs> That I haven't already said or that I'm really, you know, I'm not shy. I don't really have anything to hide. I mean, right. I was uh, I was a bad kid, I guess. Then a, a bad, I say a bad kid, but I guess that's relative. Uh, but, I mean, what it all, it all ended in me basically being incarcerated for about four years before I turned 21. So, at that being the end, I guess everything up to then was just pretty much all bad from the point of by the time I right before I got into high school I I lived in I moved to New Jersey for about a year with my mother part of the what happened in my life after they got divorced went with my mother my brothers went with my father and so then it was just by myself Uh, mother was working all of the time to make ends meet and uh, I was just out and about causing trouble yeah 
In Jersey, what part of Jersey? Uh, in Wayne, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. all right. Um, so this is, uh, so what grade is that in uh, New Jersey? So that would have been eighth grade. I was uh, my last year of middle school, and I was, and then I ended up back in Florida to start high school. Yeah, so in eighth grade. So, man, here, here we go. In just a few years, you've come out of this two-parent household, this mm-hmm. really controlled environment in the Christian school, and they're ta- and they're teaching, uh, uh, I, I, you know, academic stuff, but also doing some biblical stuff and some uh, values based stuff, and yeah. and using uh, some stories from the Bible to teach other things and principles and all that. And then within just a few years, you have divorced parents. You've got an older brother that you look up to, and he's doing some things, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of following that path. And 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 then at the same time, the traditional school model of sit, of you know, the kind of that sit and get model just sit down be quiet and do what you're told yeah. really isn't working for you and now you're moving across the country from south florida to jersey which is a whole different vibe yeah, yeah. and so and so at this point in new jersey man in the in, in the eighth grade like what's a typical day for you like you, you know you go to school or or, or not you're a skip or what, yeah what I, was, you... I went to school for the most i went to school more there than i then I didn't really start skipping school all that much until high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there it was, it was uh, just normal, normal sit at home, watch movies with the rest of your friends in your pajamas and shit just wasn't what I did. You yeah. know, where I was just, uh, I, I was introduced to, uh, to Herb for the first time there in New York, uh, in Jersey. Mm-hmm. And that was that kind of, catapulted or led into uh stealing and that's at that point and i guess new people new friends uh at that point it was new opportunity i guess with that hustling mind frame that i had already kind of been in selling candy at school before i was moving and trying to figure out although i mean working at i mean it was working at christmas tree lots washing cars cutting lawns uh just always trying to find money and trying to and trying to be cool, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was super influential age in Jersey. And that's just when that's, that's when it turned more of a, of a, more of, I guess, a hardcore kind of bad kid instead of just little slap on the wrist type of stuff. You know, I just started smoking started breaking and in, entering into stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, come home with something I didn't leave with usually that was like a thing for me it was it was a strange little tick that I had I think for a while yeah and so and this is eighth grade yeah yeah it started yeah it had building since then right for a long time and other little things I think but yeah I was had a lot of time to myself so it was and mom's doing the best she can man of course yeah yeah. you know and she's out there working and she and and she's got to come home and deal with you and well, I was you like you man for so long wow, I kept that like I I wasn't I was good I guess good for a while and got away with a lot of with a lot of shit for a long time so you know that wasn't really a a, a visible issue to my to my mother like when she got home everything was cool you know I mean I, I had already done I had already done the deeds during the day or whatever right. I needed to do so you and, got high you broke it in her it was cool yeah some <laughs> stolen stuff hidden in the and, house and I never really got caught yeah I mean sometimes I, I mean she probably knew and she saw a couple things around the house that shouldn't have been there I mean she's a smart lady but right. I'm sure uh and I mean, and I had my own, my share of discipline. I mean, my mother's, my parents didn't just like turn it and turn a blind eye or anything like that. But 
uh, yeah, I think it just it got out it got out of control. Yeah, and and this is only eighth grade. At this point, what what's your relationship with your dad? Is he he's still back in Florida? Yeah, yeah. I hadn't uh, spent much time with my father after my parents got divorced. There was uh, I I had uh, just major resentments. I think toward my dad, whether they were like valid or not at that point. Uh, just my parents were fighting, and it was you know they didn't ever really have nice things to say about each other at that point. So sure. I kind of uh, fed along with. Uh, thinking that my dad had something to do more than my mom, blah blah blah. So, so being in your mom's house, it's like you had to be on mom's team. Uh, yeah, had sure. I side. turned into to mama's boy like real quick when once the family got split up. So yeah. that that distant distant me from uh, made me more distant from my father for sure. Yeah, yeah, and then that's that's why one of the reasons I think because after eighth grade, after Jersey, things didn't work out up there. So. My mother was wrapping up things with uh, the boyfriend that sh- that we moved up there for. That's why we were over there. Uh, so I ended up back in Florida for high school, living. Were with you my guys father. living with her boyfriend? Yeah, yeah. What we, was the deal with you why, and him? Well, that's yeah, that's why we moved up to to Jersey. My mother was following a relationship she had been in for a while, and yeah, it turned to shit with me and that guy. He like I don't know, really he made me cry a bunch of times with the way he was approaching me and trying to deal with me, and he what he he couldn't relate to me at all. So sure, that just ended up in me like wanting to get out of there and tell my mother, and right. my only choice was to go live with my dad. It's a tough thing, man, because at this point, you're with your mom, you resent your dad, mm-hmm. and you have this cat almost trying to play the role of a dad, yeah. in which you already have one, but you resent him anyway, so it's just making it worse for him. It's just not working for anybody. Yeah, it wasn't at that point. Yeah, it kind of, I kind of shut off listening to what was probably supposed to be good advice in my life, because it just seemed like... Uh, I don't know, maybe because of the results that had happened at, during my life, kind of in my mind were because of things that happened because of these guys. Boom. I mean, I love my dad. I talk to him all the time now, you know, and that stuff is gone. But uh, it was, yeah, it was not receptive to constructive criticism or anything like that in my life, Yeah, especially from like a, a male or 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 a teacher probably at that point when I got into school. Can can you remember any of your teachers from eighth grade or they just kind of. No, I really don't remember any of those, any of those teachers. No, (laughs) no, 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 it was interesting. It was kind of, yeah, it was like a, because here's the thing, bro. You spent nine months of your life with somebody. Yeah. At that, at that point I was, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think to, try to establish any sort of right. relationship with an adult and an authoritative place like that. And I'm just wondering, you know, you know, not just your responsibility, but as an educator, seeing that kid, because I can tell you, man, if they're a great teacher, you can spot the kid that you know at home is having some trouble. You can feel that when the kid walks by you, you know, as you greet him at the door. And I don't know if your teachers ever greeted you at the door, but I always greet my kids at the door, give them mm-hmm. a high five, hug, handshake, whatever. Yeah. As they come into the classroom, man, just by the handshake and look in the eye, hey, bro, all good, and you and you can tell. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah, I, I don't remember, I don't remember much of that, or if, or if that happened, but if that did happen, and and I was in the state that I was in, and it was noticeable by an adult mm-hmm. uh, with a clear, like close view, like a teacher can get. Yeah, like maybe, maybe some. Uh, 
little whispers to the guidance counselor or something like that that this yeah. kid doesn't seem right or you know this uh i'm not sure what the, what the ways this. of approach are like that these days but i know it's hard to go back in time but if you if 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 there was a teacher there male female whatever and um and had built that connection you know and spent some extra time standing next to you in a classroom and you know for me it's always like and i can spot the kid and i'll start out with like a proximity thing while standing next to him you know we'll get you know not, not too close but close enough where they know mm -hmm. i'm just in that area and then the next thing i know you know right you know as i'm talking and teaching i might walk past that kid and just put my hand on his shoulder and say man you know what i'm talking about right you know and then it just kind of gives me the right to get in their personal space yeah. and i just kind of edge my way in there right and then what do you think if there was a teacher that took the time to strategically kind of build that relationship and then ask you to say, hey, man, uh, you know, man, when the bell rings, hang out right here for just a second. I want to talk to you. And if they asked you what was going on in your life at that point, do you think you would have shared it? Mm. Huh. It's a good question. I'm not, I was usually pretty open. And yeah, if it, if it was in like. I mean, if, if it was done strategically by the teacher where it didn't even seem like there was a, a sense of negativity, like... Uh, or judgment. Or, or Right, yeah, like... What's up, like, man? Uh, it feels like most of the time I was approached, there was... when I, Yeah, I, I don't remember specific moments, but I think because I, I, I first went into, like, high school, at, or, well, I guess before that age, but... So eighth grade, I don't have that excuse of being Brandon's little brother because that's kind of what happened when I got into high school. So before then, yeah, I probably would have because I, you know, I wasn't like I wasn't really lost yet. Right. And and I mean, I was doing some bad shit, but I wasn't really lost in eighth grade yet. Yeah. yeah. So I probably would have, I probably wouldn't have known better than to really like try to pull the wool over a teacher's eyes to try to get over on them at that age. Sure probably would have yeah because you you mean you would have been like the perfect kid for like maybe the wrestling coach to pull into his circle dude why you know why don't you hang out with us man come work out after school or you know what you know one, one of those you know to get you integrated and a part of something to feel like you're yeah. a part of a family whether it's the wrestling team or the band or whatever doesn't matter yeah look, yeah that could have something like yeah there was a yeah there was an age there where i might not have been too receptive to that because i know when i got into high school this the organized sports it was yeah it was too almost too late yeah when it came to high school when there was that type of offering but if there was some sort of you know outside of trying to be class president or something like that which to me was just a ridiculous thing you know what i mean if there was some <laughs> other type of group to get in like a movement group like kind of what i'm doing with parkour right now like if there were some sort of group where i could go outside and excuse my language, but just fuck off for a while and just yeah. climb some shit, get dirty, roll around and, and kind of get that emotional rush that life comes with that is just not exploited or explored in like a classroom. Like you just want to tap with the mental aspect and they don't really try to emotionally connect with yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. true, man. We, I, I used to teach a squad. I had this kid in my class, but I knew of the kid because he had the reputation. Everybody knew the kid. Mm. And then we find out later um, in his senior year, and this kid, I mean, we're going to get rid of him. We're, I mean, we're going to graduate him. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Don't you worry, brother. You're going to graduate. <laughs> I got to do show up. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep going. And we find out later, this kid was like a national taekwondo champion. Nice. 
and like you know and you know in like some of those dojos like in some of those taekwondo studios i mean it's like it's all about respect and yes sir no sir and so he's living that life outside of school because that's where he like fits in and learns and he's like teaching he's teaching little kids Mm -hmm. but at school he's like this major gangster you know and just it is yeah so you never know so man after after eighth grade you moved back to florida yeah and um, your reputation, your, your reputation precedes you because you have an older brother down there. Yeah, he was a senior when I was a freshman. Uh, so that was, that 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 just ended up being that was the that's what did it. Yeah, because I didn't even I had no barrier between me and the cool kids in school. You know, I mean that that my brother was voted like going back to those senior superlatives or the superlatives given out. I think that was even in my freshman year of high school. I was voted most likely to end up on hard copy. I mean, right. that's what it was. And my brother was like best looking, most popular kind of guy. So I was Brandon's little brother. I was at all the parties. I was I knew. All the guys that had already had the more life experience getting into drugs and all that type of stuff, it was just like handed to me. Yeah. And that's playing off of that hustler part of me, uh, like enjoying being able to make money. Uh, it, it was a no brainer for me to sell drugs. Yeah. And, and, and I was kind of good at it. It felt like for a while. So that was, that was, I was more important and did more for me in the immediate than school did. So that's freshman year, like almost right in the beginning. It was like school, what, you know? Right. It's like I, I learned, I probably learned more in typing class in high school than I did in like any other class. Maybe that's why I got into IT. I don't know because I could already type. I don't know. I could type. I could. I could. I, well, I was telling my friend the other day. I was like, in high school, I was like, I could type like a motherfucker. It's <laughs> your thing, man. You found it, baby. Yeah. So, so you're so man, like you're in high school and you hit the ground running it because your brother's already there. He's he he's the man, and here comes his little brother moving to town. He's preparing everybody. Cameron's coming, man, and you show up, hit the ground running. And here's the thing, man. Everybody, especially at that age, we have like you know these kids have these basic human needs. They have a need for connection. They got to connect with somebody. You mm-hmm. need that, and um, you have to feel significant in some way. A kid needs to feel that they they matter, and they they that they're that you know that. Uh, that they're, they're, they're growing in terms of who, who they are as a person yeah. and successful. And what we say, man, they're going to they're gonna fill, fulfill those needs one way or the other. You can do it with you as a teacher in the classroom, or they're going to do it, find themselves somewhere else. Yeah. And you're, and you're making, and you're, you're, fi- you're filling all your needs because, because now you're, you're connected, man. You have, yeah, and, you, yeah. and you're important because mm-hmm. now you're selling drugs yeah. and you know, you're significant. You know, here I mean, and and you the feel and you're good from, at it. Yeah, the so significance you, came for me at that point because because I had been away. I, when I moved back for high school, I moved back to my hometown. I was in the same place that I grew up in with all of my friends I grew up with until I was probably until I was a teenager and then moved away a little bit. Uh, so when I got back, I had spent a long enough time away where my my peers were completely disconnected from me because they had already gone through this, most of those uh, very influential adolescent years after, you know, becoming a teenager and stuff like that. I wasn't around. They started to do their own thing. So when I got back, I was, I mean, it just kind of fell into place. I was, my brother's friends became my friends and yeah. I didn't, I didn't need to try to become friends with anybody else. And that's where that 
I was I felt good. That made me feel good. That significant part for sure. Yeah, and you're 13. They're 17 and 18. Yeah, yeah. I was getting rides to school. You know, I, was, I had all the hookups for everything. And I was out drinking with all the guys all the time, and it was just like I felt like a grown up. It was yeah. Cool. yeah it was, and then, um, and of course, man, this doesn't last long. You can't do that and get away with it. Mm. Not at that age. No, man, not at all. And so at some point it hit the fan. Yeah. When, 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 when was the first time? Because you said you had some slap on the hands here and there. You had a little bit of trouble. No big deal. Yeah. When, was the, when was the big one that hit? The first one? Uh, when, when a couple, a couple young girls got caught by their parents for some stuff that I had sold them. Mm-hmm. They told them that it was me, so the parents went and had conversations with the guidance counselors and the people at the school. Yeah. Even though it didn't happen on school or at school, that was kind of like, nobody had ever really said anything and until until it was like kind of too late, I guess. Yeah. Even if they did notice, I mean, it's not like an excuse or any sort of reason, but it, nobody ever really said anything to the school that I know of until... Uh, shit hit the fan outside like that so they at that point they pulled me in to the guidance counselor's office and you know what's up right away yeah for sure i mean i was like i had a thank you for pot smoking sticker stapled to my backpack you know what i mean (laughs) going to raves and shit like that it was just that was that was that kid you know i'm surprised i hadn't been called into the guidance counselor's office like every day up until that point right uh but yeah it was at that point they called me in and then one thing led to another, and I guess they just were searching my car. I don't remember if I gave them permission or how that works or if they didn't need my permission. Not but, on school uh, campus, baby. You got yeah, no yeah. rights. So, so I had, uh, it was it was mostly hallucinogenics that I ended up, you know, selling acid and stuff like that is what I ended up getting caught for and what I did mostly. Mm-hmm. And, and when, like, when roofies were real big, you know, eating pills and stuff like that. So when they searched my car, they found a bunch of pills in my car. and. Right. That was the uh, the beginning of the downward spiral, like into legal problems. Right. Yeah. That started my. I had a couple misdemeanors for stupid shit before then, but what was that? What were those? Like buying alcohol as a minor. Oh. Uh, yeah. Like uh, and just petty theft. Yeah. All right. So uh, and this is interesting. So in class. In school, that ninth grade year, did, did, did all this go down ninth grade or tenth grade? Ninth grade. Ninth grade. As soon as I got in. Yes. And so, um, but but like in class, you're not causing trouble. You're not like a... No way. No, dude. You're just I'd sliding be, by. Yeah, yeah. Because then I would, I would bring attention to myself. And, yeah, uh, man. And this is what I always say, man. I you know, always talk. I said, look, man, that you know, in classes, that kid that's out of control is causing trouble. And we can focus on that kid, but the ones that worry me the most are ones... Watch out for the quiet ones, man. Because, you know what, and, and as a teacher, it's so easy to think, well, thank good, I don't have to deal with that because the kid's quiet, maybe they're doing the work, I don't know, I just let them fine. But man, you know what we always say is those kids will forever be a better actor than you are a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll never know what's going on in that kid's life. They could be dangerously introverted, man. Yeah. And so, and so you're, so you're, you're the quiet kid, seem innocently enough, just maybe not really applying yourself, but who cares? At least you're not causing trouble and taking, you know, teaching time away from the teacher. Mm -hmm. You're just, you know, hidden in the back corner with your 
stick sticker stapled to your backpack, <laughs> right? <laughs> Living life. Yeah, that didn't last long after. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day you get called down to the counselors. They search in your car. You get caught with all the stuff. They where they bring the dogs. They be... no, nah, they didn't need to. No, all right, no, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't need to. Yeah. So, uh, you, so, uh, and uh, and so, what happens, man? They call the cops, or what? You go. To yeah, jail? yeah. They called. The, they. Uh, I don't. I don't even think I got arrested. Like actually arrested i don't i don't uh i don't think they took me anywhere uh -huh. to juvie or anything like that they just took my stuff and uh took took your inventory I, yeah, yeah i was that's when i got suspended for school from school for like 40 days or something like that they did and they i went to like a vocational school for a month uh -huh. like where they just send all the fucked up kids maybe i don't know or like the bad kids and that's what i felt like it felt like when i ended up in a couple rehabs and stuff like that and have that to compare it to. That's kind of what it felt like, like a little rehab for high school kids that don't pay attention in school. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, if you don't want to go back to that shitty place, you do better in school. And right. uh, yeah, it didn't work. Right. Yeah, not, not yet. R yeah. Rarely does it work yeah. at that age, you know, because we have them there on that campus, but now they're surrounded with kids just like them. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was, and they leave there and now they got new friends they met at that school. <laughs> yeah. That, that kind of happens. Yeah. For sure. And uh, so new, new connections or whatever. <laughs> right. So you're at your alternative campus assignment, we yeah. call that. And you, and you did your uh, 40 day stint. There at your uh, high, at school prison, high school prison, yeah. and uh, and 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 did you ever get to come back? Yeah, I came back to school, to school. And did you normal. come back a changed man? Everything's different. You no. just were clever now. No, yeah, it was just. I guess I thought I was smarter, something like that. And, yeah. And I had at that point, I had I tried, like I, I did the competition team volleyball in, in middle school before I started to hang out with all of the wrong kids and end up in Jersey and all that stuff. So I, before I had always been into sports, organized sports, been playing soccer, baseball, football, everything growing up, volleyball in middle school. I tried football in high school, but I was just like, I, I wasn't like, I wasn't about being athletic at that point. I was strong and I was learning things, learning how to lift weights, which I credit like any of my foundation of musculature to. That was one of the most in typing and lifting weights in high school. Uh, <laughs> but football, like I couldn't, I couldn't stand the helmet. Wrestling, they wanted me to carry somebody and carry them around like this room, this circle. I was like, dude, I'm not gonna, I don't want to carry people, and I don't want to like run up the bleachers and up across, down around the bleachers until I throw up. Like that, that wasn't my thing. I right. was just like want to just hang out and make money yeah yeah and still hustling yeah yeah for sure that still until, focused on that until like i think the next time i ended up getting in a lot of trouble was uh, maybe end of 10th grade 11th grade i mean i had a few other things up until that point i don't remember specifically but the next like big event in my life didn't happen until the uh the beginning of i think my my junior year or something like that still still living with mom at that point i had moved in moved back in my mother clean cleared up whatever needed to be cleared up in jersey she moved back down to west palm and then yeah i moved in with i think i had moved in with her around my sophomore year it took her about a year or so to get back and then i was and then 
and then I kind of got away with more, I think, because then I wasn't living with my dad, who was who was more strict as he should have been, and yeah. uh, and I wasn't around my brother as much, so I kind of had my domain back. You know what I mean? Mom was back. I had my space. I had my thing, and it was just, yeah, it was it was bad at that point. I was closer to school because yeah. my father lived a little bit further away, so everything was more accessible. Everything was just all around me. And that was like the little, my mom's house became the spot for a while. Yeah. yeah. The hangout. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, when they were, yeah. All right. And so mom's back at work, grinding it out, yeah, trying yeah, to pay yeah. the bills. She, man, she works hard, man. Always yeah. has. What was her thing? She uh, does, um, she's usually the, uh, a personal secretary for somebody pretty important. This yeah. is usually what she's done. So that's always kept her, kept her pretty busy morning, noon and night. Sure. So, yeah. Biz, just as busy as their schedules, just to make the money they made. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, and uh, and so you're doing your thing. So, uh, man, junior year, uh, junior year hits, and the next big thing is what? What happens? That's uh, when uh, I had been doing everything. When you go to, well, not everything, but everything that I had been doing up until um, until. I was just with a friend, ironically enough. You still selling drugs at this yeah, point? Yeah, for sure. Never you stopped. You still a little yeah, theft was, here and there, um, just hustling money. Almost always stealing from somewhere, whether we were going to someone's house party or we were going out somewhere or stealing beer or stealing whatever, right. credit cards, stuff from stores, all kinds <laughs> dude, of stuff. you're a shit. mess. You're yeah, a mess, it was, dude. it was horrible. All uh, right. And it was... Uh, it was... I think I would, I had to have been like picked out from being in trouble before the right. uh, buying alcohol as a minor, the stuff with uh, on school, having a record already mm -hmm. and being in the system. I was, I was with a friend when he was selling drugs and it was the person he was selling drugs to that was uh, like a narc or something like that. And because I was with my friend, I guess it assumed that I was selling drugs with him. So it was like a guilty by association type of deal. That's the way it works, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. So uh, I was just sleeping one I kind of had heard about something going on. I wasn't really sure that I had a warrant out for my arrest because I didn't think that nothing happened when the, that deal went down that got me in trouble. Right. So I was just sleeping one day at my mother's place and um, cops came to get me and told me I had a warrant for my arrest for this thing for sale of hallucinogenics. And mm -hmm. we were selling a lot of acid, so it wasn't just a few. And they were pissed, I suppose, and wanted to uh, have other people to take the fall for what was going on other than just my friend. So that's, yeah. So that's like the f one of the first times I really went to jail. They put the cuffs on you. Yeah, yeah, it took me from my took me from my bedroom, uh, and I was just gone for a while, and then uh, yeah, and that's the first time I ended up in a rehab, as the as the result of. So you're what a junior, right, bro? You're a junior at this point. Yeah. And they put the cuffs on you, take you out of the bedroom, they take you to the station. Yeah, it was junior. I mean, there's a bit of fogginess there, so it was you know junior, beginning senior year. And yeah, like that. yeah, in that area, in mm -hmm. high school, late yeah. high school. Yeah. And you go down to the station, they book you, they put you in. You got to go to, you get an attorney. Uh, yeah. Luckily, we had a a really great friend of the family who, uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. And uh, so, and, and so you guys are moving a lot of ass. It sounds like. Oh uh, yeah, kind of. And yeah. so, uh, and anyway, so they uh, did you get sentenced to any jail time or just to rehab? Well, at that point, I, I 
had just a rehab. Rehab. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think exactly how everything, the timing of everything is a little foggy, like I was saying, because I don't remember if I got kicked out of high school before I went to rehab the fa- that first time or if I went to rehab for a little bit, like a break from high school and then went right. back. I think it was after I got, because I got, I got asked to leave high school. Asked to leave. Yeah. That's a like, nice way. To, can't like, really do us a favor. Like Just I, not show up. And, <laughs> that'd be uh, awesome if you didn't come anymore. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how it went down, seriously. Yeah. Like, like nothing that, you, you, no, uh, not one thing I'd even, not would one. Would you sign right here? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> not one thing in particular happened, but some other shit was going down around the campus where I had already had that name. So they were just like, and I, and they, they could probably tell I was still up to no good, even though they couldn't point fingers at yeah, anybody they in particular. Right. Yeah. So that I, I just kind of got blamed for everything that was going on, whether it was me or not. Uh, yeah. So I got asked to leave. So that those those things it just happen. Sounds so polite. <laughs> I was asked to leave. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, mm-hmm. and then so man, you so you've been to rehab. You've uh, you, now you're kicked out of high school, and uh, and and so at this point you have some. Uh, are, you, are you thinking about making a change in your no, life? No, I or? just had a lot more free time. To yeah. Do, to do the same stupid shit I was doing. More opportunity to hustle and yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, rave like raves were really big at that point. That was so, huge back then. Uh, that that was. What year is this? Oh, that always messes me up. That was. Give or take. Ninety-five ish. Right. Yeah, about ninety-five. I was seventeen in ninety-five. Uh huh. And so, uh, and so you got a lot of time. You're on the street. Uh yeah. Mom was at work. Yeah, it was all the. Uh, yeah, yeah, and kicked out of school into that rehab, and then when I ended up coming, uh, yeah, the rehab was my first experience with uh, like really being away for a while. I think jail was uh, just the beginning before that, being mm-hmm. arraigned and all of that type of stuff. Uh, so that rehab was like six months, six months in living in a place every day. You know, I could have left if I wanted to, but then the worser of my sentence would have kicked in. So it was living in a rehab for six months and then a halfway house for six months after that. And so in, in, in the rehab facility, you guys are doing the group, you're sitting in the circle. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, doing that's the when whole I thing. really got to know my parents. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what that rehab did. That rehab didn't keep me from doing the shit that I was doing that got me into rehab because I still didn't really think I had a problem and all of that stuff. But it, that's when I got to know my parents and that's when I got to tell my parents how I felt about all the things that was happening growing up and why I think I was acting the way I was acting and all that stuff. It was weird. It took 17 years or, you know, sure. born or whatever for, to like really even, I think even my parents sometimes they, you know, they maybe could have pushed a little bit harder, but maybe they did push as hard as they thought they could have. And I just wasn't receptive to receptive to it. But at that point when we were put in a constructive environment and it was, uh, you shut up while you go and you shut up while they go back at like a controlled uh, session like that. That yeah. was, and being told whatever, just the way of being able to understand my feelings and emotions and how to kind of express them at that point. That's when it made a lot of progress at that point for that rehab. <laughs> yeah. But, but I still wasn't receptive to uh, like to not smoke or not, eat pills anymore right during you know halfway through the rehab we was just we're going out drinking with some friends and stuff like that on we were allowed to leave from like 
6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or something like that. We were just fucking off sometimes. So yeah. it was right after that, I ended up back. Uh, I, was, I was always working in the service industry, so I went straight back to... Uh, I tried to stay away from old people, places, and things, which is what they try to tell you in rehab. I mean, that's one of the major things that are going to cause a relapse. You're around things that are familiar. I've blah, seen blah, Dr. Blah. Drew. I know. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like that, that kind of, that kind of worked a little bit, but I, I just kind of made new friends doing the same shit. So, yeah. uh, eventually one of my old friends did start to work with me at one of the restaurants I ended up having a job at and that just that brought it all back all the familiar stuff came back he was still doing all of the same stuff we used to do we were getting in trouble so it's like oh yeah cool I'll I'll eat some pills with you again and pills is that's what ended up messing me up for sure is uh I, I just I guess was addicted to eating pills for some time when I was. What was, your, what was your thing? Uh, Xanax, roofies, yeah, uh, like the downers and stuff like that. And tell, we'll tell you what, man. Today, Florida still is a capital, man. Yeah, yeah it's Oxycontin, so easy. Oxycontin, all that stuff, man. It just comes through Miami, and um, and it's and it's legal, and people come from all over the nation, and they line up, and so the way these doctors have it set up, it's a line out the door. These doctors, hundred dollars cash for a visit. The visit lasts less than five minutes. Yeah, and then they also happen to have a pharmacy right next door. Oh, of course, that they own. Yeah, yeah. And you take your prescription, and you walk right next door, and you pay cash. It's, so it's an all cash business, and it's all doctors. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it's unbelievable. And yeah. so people drive like through the night from Kansas, you know, a couple times a month. Yeah, yeah. And pick up their pills and go back. It's amazing what still goes on to this day. And um, all right, yeah. so. So uh, you you're you're back in the man you're back in the lifestyle so nothing has really changed. Yep. Yeah, and I was old enough to be in clubs and stuff like that now. So oh, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So things went downhill fast. Yeah, right right, right again. Uh, it was I, and again like even now how I'm speaking I say I don't have things to hide. I don't really care like I'm not I'm not I'm just not a politically correct person and almost everything that I do I don't really believe in sugarcoating and and trying to say something without just saying it. Yeah. Uh so it was uh it just applied for a job at a pharmacy. <laughs> oh my god. Told them that I, you know, was honest on the application that I was a convicted felon and what it was for and they gave me a chance. And that was a bad decision because I just ended up, uh, I was there for a little, I was there so for dude. long enough, I was there for long enough to walk by the aisle and see the pills that I was used to eating. And I was just like, cool. Wow. Free pills <laughs> at my, at that point. I mean, I would, I tried to be a little more clever, you know, rather than just swiping them in broad daylight, but right. it wasn't clever enough. So they obviously found that pills were missing. Uh, yeah, it so it was, long. yeah. And, and that like, the equivalent of the pills that I took uh, was retail grand theft. So they like, that wasn't a slap on the wrist anymore. So, and I had already been in trouble previous times. So now so you have I'm, a record I'm now. an habitual offender. And, uh, and so where were you when they come get you this time? I was at work. I was at the, at work at the pharmacy when the, when the loss prevention officer uh, pulled me into his office and was showing me some video and stuff like that of you swiping pills yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, I thought i was slick for sure yeah, and uh you, you thought wow it don't look so slick I'm yeah like, and <laughs> I, so at that so at that point that's when cops came again into that uh the loss prevention office and took me to my father's place and uh i don't remember why i think they took me there to to get the pills maybe 
probably like at that point i just like oh man whatever you got me but yeah it was i'm like, on the tv I, yeah it's like the I, I and it was probably to like pay less restitution or something like that i was like cool i'll give you the pills back you know so i don't right. have to pay for them right uh so that's yeah and so that's when i that's when i went away for like a, f- a few years stretch like a couple years all right so you actually went to jail this time oh yeah for sure and that's when i didn't get out for is it jail or prison what's the difference no that, what from what i remember is if you're if you're if you're in for less than a year it, it's jail like right. the county jail which is uh like we went one downtown is, here and yeah that's like less less than a year or so and then i always remember if you got sentenced to a year and a day that was when right. you went to prison. Like, so with one of the prisons. So so you, so then you went to prison. Um, because my sentencing wasn't for more than a year, I didn't end up going to prison. But nice. that process of arraignment and uh, being held until your court be, yeah, date, and, and having the, a good lawyer on, uh-huh. on the back end, a family lawyer again, um, trying to save me from going to prison. That that took a while. Yeah. So I was in the regular county jail for almost for almost a year, waiting for all that stuff to happen. And then after <sighs> I finally got sentenced, one of the, the sentence was to be uh, was about a year for a place called the drug farm. So as opposed to being sentenced to prison, which is where I should have gone, being a repeat offender and everything, they, they gave me another chance and put me in a place called the drug farm, which was a, a boot camp, a, a rehab boot camp on the in the stockade. So not like a leave if you want type of rehab where I went before. Right. It was barbed wired, run by. You, like, got, you guys were in the outfits. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was by you know color-coded hats for like the level that you were of how long you'd been there, whether you could talk or not, you know, what type Dude screaming of at you in your face. Yeah, it was it was like a boot camp, sure. Intense, PT man. in PT in the mornings, uh cadence, marching, uh it was at that point it was it was the real deal for me. I mean that that's when I I started to take things seriously. And once I got to the drug farm place, that place changed my life. Changed your life. Yeah, for sure. And um do you you know, I asked you earlier, do you, do, you, do you recall anybody specifically from eighth grade as an educator? And you say no. And this, in, in this boot camp setting, do you recall any, anybody working almost there? Almost everybody. Almost everybody. Almost everybody. Yeah, what, especially the, 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 psycho, my, the psychologist that was assigned to me, for sure. Miss, uh, Miss Adams was her name. Her last name was Adams. Why do you think that is, man? Because uh, she knew how to relate to me. She, she had a relatable personality to me. Or if she didn't, she did when she was with me. <clears throat> she was able to, uh, she was just able to get to me at, at, at my level where I was, where uh, maybe in an environment where you don't have to be as politically correct as you have to be in a school. Right. You know what I mean? Like She was real. If, yeah. Like She built the connection, the rapport. Yeah. Like broke me, broke me down for sure. Because uh-huh. she had been there herself. You know, most of I found most of the most of <clears throat> most of the people who have been able to receive me the best, I guess, have been through something similar that I have some sort of adversary. I mean, it doesn't have to be drugs or thievery or anything like that. It could be just just simply having a fucked up family or something. Or, yeah. Or some sexual abuse when you were younger. That's very common with people that uh, that I 
just common these days uh, to hear, uh, especially mm -hmm. listening to the poetry slam part sure. with your daughter the other day. I mean, yeah. It wasn't in her piece, but it was uh, a lot of the other people like that. The, that type of like lost, like being, you know, if you've been lost, I, I guess you kind of can relate to people, other people who've just been absolutely just lost. Yeah. And, yeah. Here's the thing, man. You know, like everybody has a story. Everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and as educators, you know, I'm not saying we have to let every detail of our lives out, but just, just letting people know, letting our kids know that we have a story too. Yeah. You know, it's such a critical thing. And because everybody has gone through something, there's something in everybody's life that is painful, man. And you know what? It's not the, and, and, and the thing is, everybody's is different. And what, and what I find is, like, I can't imagine going through what you went through. I can't imagine. But, like, if you knew my story, you would think, oh, man, I couldn't imagine going yeah, through yeah, what you went through. Sure. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Like, sure. everybody thinks because you went through it, you've already dealt with it, you can handle it. But and, you wouldn't hear somebody yeah. else's. It's like, oh, my and I th And we're kind, of, we're kind of like that, I think, just human nature for some time and, until something slaps us in the face and is like, yo, that guy's got a story, too. You know, you're not, like, suffering alone or whatever people feel when they're experiencing something like that. And... Yeah, I, I, I think that like, I have to act a little bit when I'm teaching classes. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to act a little bit when you're teaching classes. Part of that act should be to figure out what works for the particular individual and not being that disconnected, politically correct, watching everything you say type of person because a kid like me, how I was like, all you are is an authoritative figure trying to tell me what to do at that point. Like yeah. you're not trying to relate to me. You're not trying to, you're not trying to see what was the coolest thing I did this week. You know, asking before a class starts, asking people, you know, like what was, you know, like what I do with the kids class. Sometimes when you see us, we get down low, we get close together so everybody can hear. We do a little introduction, make sure everybody knows each other. Make yeah, sure yeah. they're not just there for themselves. They're training with other people. And sometimes we get into a little conversation like, what was the coolest thing you did this week? And like, even if it's talking about playing a video game, like the kid's eyes light up like, wow, man, he's like, he's interested in what I did. You know, he like yeah, wants yeah. to know what I did this week. Like, right. that's cool. Of course I'll tell him. Yeah. And then, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, then, then you're relating to them and then they're going to be right. obviously more receptive to what you want to teach them because they feel at that point that they have something to learn from you. Dude, man, it's just amazing to hear you talk and how just like what an expert educator you've become just because of your own experiences. Like you didn't go to college to, or trade school or anything to focus on being a teacher, mm -hmm. but these life, this life experience that you had has prepared you to be like an expert educator because that's the key, man, is about how that kid feels in that moment. That's why they're going to learn. And like one of the, mo the, the most powerful, like there's, there's, two, there's, I mean, there's so many powerful statements, mm -hmm. but like a couple for teaching kids is... You know, just that powerful state with a kid coming into class and we saying, "Man, I've been thinking about you all day. Man, I was thinking about you on my way, you know, on, on my way to work today. Man, I was thinking about you. And you know what? It, it, just like that one statement, the kid, the, you know, this kid is plants a seed. I'm like, what? He's thinking about me on his way to work. Yeah, yeah. that's powerful. Uh, yeah. Or you know, or that statement is, oh man, you're not gonna believe what we did yesterday, man. We went to this this park and did parkour. Man, I couldn't wait to tell you about it. Come here. And that statement, I couldn't wait to tell you about it. 
because that's what you do with your best friends. Yeah, yeah. Like when something great happens in your life, you call your best friend. It's, detail. it's all about details. Yeah, and so and so I couldn't wait to tell you about it. When a kid hears that, they feel, oh my gosh. Now there's this immediate emotional connection, and that's why they're going to remember everything you teach them in that class. Yeah. Such powerful stuff. So at this at this boot camp, now we've we've eliminated outside influences. You have this crazy structured environment. You're on a time schedule. There's no time to do anything no, except for what people tell you to do. And you're you have a connection with people. You have um some some role models. You have counselors and and this woman who's able to relate to you. And like you said, whether she's really, you know, authentically being her in that moment or she has just figured out how to, to relate to your personality right. and she's an expert at that well however I mean it doesn't matter because she's <laughs> going to get results with you yeah. and so all this and you're in there for some time for uh, for how, uh, until the gates clanked behind you going into the gates clanked behind you leaving how long were you in that place in, I think it was in the drug farm for like 11 months 11 months yeah. we're going to count that as a year yeah. you, you probably forgot about one probably. of those months right? yeah yeah probably <laughs> so yeah a year we'll go on a year and so you get out of there and what you have to go to another kind of yeah, halfway yeah go to a halfway house again for 6 months uh -huh. so in that in that aspect a halfway house was uh, a place where i lived and i was only allowed to leave there from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. so i could leave to work and we were allowed to go to AA and A meetings and all of that stuff, but uh, the curfew was 6 p.m. until mm -hmm. 6 a.m. So we had to sleep there, live there, eat in the common area, do all that stuff. Right. And then even after that, there was more uh, what they called outpatient treatment for several months after the halfway house. And then, man, probably for two or three years, even after that, I was on probation, you know, having to uh, pay money and piss in a cup. That's yep. the way that I wrote about it all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. Are you changed at this point? Yeah, for sure. You're done. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was the, the tendencies that I had before, uh, just don't remain within me. It was, it was, like I said, the drug farm changed my life. That's where this is when I taught myself yoga in mm -hmm. the drug farm that played a big part of it in, in, in understanding and even beginning to think about a mind body connection i had never that that type of stuff never even crossed my mind before of like like how i even said to you before i came in here like uh with this extra time i have on my hands that i'm sure we'll get into shortly uh like i i, I make appointments with myself you know i want to yeah. to teach myself learn myself uh make appointments to continue to get to know myself all of the time because uh this is just something that is neglected too much, I think. Yeah. So how did, how did you start this yoga practice in the uh, drug farm? <laughs> there was one of the one of my bunk mates. We lived in like six different rooms, and in each room there was like eight bunk beds. So one of the guys that I slept next to had the complete illustrated book of yoga, and I was <laughs> I was bored of reading the dictionary. So <laughs> I thought that I would pick this up and. Uh, and I would just, I was always getting looked at funny when I was in the yard. You know, you got some of the other like big guys that probably should have been in prison, you know, or maybe had worse pasts, you know, their own story or what yeah. have you, you know. And I'm this guy in the corner, like, uh, getting, in the lotus, getting, getting flexible, you know, <laughs> and getting stretching. So, getting your lotus on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was, that was, it was strange. But at that same time, that, that's when I started to feel like I didn't, I didn't give a shit. I didn't care. I stopped, I stopped like, allowing outside things like that to affect me and i just became 
more introverted, I think, than I was before. But but like I was positively processing these things now, and I wasn't I wasn't like purposefully not paying attention to things that could have uh, positively influenced me. You know what I mean? It was I was. I was taking everything good and bad and I was really trying to get good at figuring out what worked for me. Right. And the, that concentration that happened when I understood the meditative part and the breathing part of yoga just brought a different sense of calmness to myself where I was actually able to think sure. without those uh, distractions. So uh, that just stuck. In. You know, here, here's, here's here's what's interesting, man. I was, I was recently uh, listening to the Joe Rogan uh, podcast show, and, you know, he talks a lot about psychedelics and a lot about herb and that whole thing. And um, he said that when he went to his first yoga class and did yoga for the first time, and he came home, and the feeling he had from spending two hours doing this yoga, this experience, he said was if, like, if he had to... Um, if someone were to ask him, "Are you high right now?" He said, "I would have said yes," yeah, even though he wasn't. Just, but from right. that, from the breathing and the mind-body experience, and really going inside yourself, and the meditative qualities of yoga, he said it was like this, 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 this transcending experience. Yeah, if you're open to it. Yeah. Yeah, and so you're kind of trying to figure this thing out on your own. No, uh, yeah, I, I kind of had to. Yeah, because when I got into the drug farm, I mean, there were guys that were like running multi-million dollar companies that just fuck their life up from smoking crack or whatever, right. eating pills themselves. I mean, guys that, I mean, I was like, I was like 20 <laughs> by the time I got into that place, I think. And, and I just, I didn't want to be like that. Boom. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I really started to understand how to learn from other people's mistakes too. Yeah. And I, and I never really saw that before. I was like, oh, it's like, I'm not going to do something that stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, just that allowing to myself to begin to understand myself. It just, I mean, I started to see so many things I had never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. So the combination of Ms. Adams and, and the, and the internal processing of what was going on with yoga and, and, and one of the other major things that happened in the drug farm was, one of the one of the big things that set me off when I was getting into trouble was my car got stolen when I had uh, one of my, my first car. I bought my friend's mother's 1984 Buick Regal, and the first thing I did was put spokes on it. You know, I was selling drugs, had a bunch of money. I was like, <laughs> I gotta have the car, right? And then the like the the alarm was the last thing on my mind at that point. And right. right before I was about to put the alarm on, the car got stolen. So all my all my CDs got stolen, my rims got stolen, all that stuff. And that that set me off on a do unto others what has been done unto me type of path, like even more destructive at that point. And when I was in the drug farm, I met the guy who stole my car. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, Did you know who stole it before you got no, there? No clue. No, still not. Never had. That was just an unresolved thing for me that really, wow. really took me off on stealing stuff more than I had done before done before from after that happened yeah but i met him there and that what was that scene like like yeah, when you figured it out yeah it was like a, just a circle you know sometimes you, you're around all them cats that are in there for some bad reasons so we're sharing war stories and one of the stories was just like because <laughs> i had long hair i had long hair at that point and he was a smaller spanish kid and he was 
you know, talking like white boy this, white boy that. And he's like, yeah, this white boy in Springdale with a ponytail used to have the spokes on his white regal, blah, blah, blah. And we took it one night. And I was like, like, that was me, bro. <laughs> and it was just like a no hard feelings. It's just when we were more receptive even to each other in that yeah. constructive environment where it, it was a positive outcome instead of like, what? You stole my car. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So that was after that, that helped the transformation really. And I was just, I was done. I was done before I left the drug farm. It's like, it's like, this is not the life for me, man. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to be 50 back in here with this other guy. Do you, you still keep in touch with anybody from that scene? Miss Adams, any, any of the other guys in there? Nah, for a while, I would go back. Because when I got out, my some of my first teaching experiences were going back into rehabs and speaking to the youth about drugs and what not to do. Yeah. So that was really the extent of keeping in touch with any of them they would have some meetings where you could go back to the drug farm and like listen in on one of like a once a month type of meeting and i'd go back every once in a while to uh share experience strength and hope is the way that they would always put it so sharing my story and stuff like that and with the kids that yeah that's when that also kind of solidified not getting back into that lifestyle was being able to share relate and share my experience with other people going through the same thing yeah you know for me like as an educator listening in on it i think i mean there's a couple of of things it's like man in that moment what's happening is as a future teacher you're learning how to be completely real and absolutely authentic in front of those because you don't have a choice like when you go back to show your story you got to get the whole thing out there. And so like you're yeah. learning what it feels like to stand before a group of people and just kind of open up and be emotionally naked and get it out there. Yep. And in addition to that, it's like now in, in addition to that, you're like setting your own level of expectation for yourself because now you have a responsibility to come back and share your story and provide strength and hope. You can't, you can't go out and mess up because yeah. it's like, like these, these kids are counting on you now. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got that sense and was able to feel that. And that was one of the things that fueled my recovery, I think. Yeah. And from that aspect, I used the program, as they call it, didn't work for me. Uh, they say work your own program in that way. And, you know, you get to some hardcore cats that are in AA and NA. If they hear me speak in that way, they'd be like, oh, you know, you know you're know, you once an addict, always an addict. And I believe in that stuff, too. And I, I know my limitations and what to do and what not to do. Um, but teaching other people and sharing sharing my experience in, in that way was like that was that was my program. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And so, and so, uh, at some point, man, you, you, you man, you got to get a, like a real job, a career, and and you've been kicked out of school. You, you don't have a high school diploma. Yeah. Well, I ended up getting my GED in the drug farm. There you go. Yeah. So that was that counts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that, that helped. And so you you have to pick a real job, and somehow you find yourself an IT business because you could type. Yeah. The, <laughs> the damn typing class. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was from twenty. 20 or 21 ish like as soon as as soon as i was free i had st i started writing i started writing in the drug farm I started writing more like hip-hop had always been an influence for me so mm -hmm. it was just like all these little these little rhymes like for the intentions of having some sort of beat behind them or something so uh it was after i got out of the drug farm that 
one of our one of my uh, my brothers and my high school friends worked in a video shop and I was always hanging out at the video shop and he was watch this movie watch that movie you're gonna love this and I saw this movie called slam that had a guy named Saul Williams in it and if your daughter doesn't know who he is if she looks up Saul Williams it could possibly change her life as well because my life changed a little bit again at that point uh -huh. where I had been writing for no real purpose other than for myself and then in this movie, it, it was uh, it w there was a couple a couple slam scenes and a couple pieces uh, where this guy Saul Williams was just being himself basically in this movie he was acting in, and uh, I know that's ironic, but it's the way that the piece was done. I mean, he's just a, a spoken word artist, and in the movie there was a couple pieces where he was on stage, and and I felt the energy from sharing what you write with a group of people like that and that scenes in that movie just at that point in my life with as vulnerable as I was to like kind of a culture shock just getting out from being locked up for a few years and it, it just that's when poetry and poetry slams and that type of uh, spoken word scene became my life for five years or so. So I, I didn't really have a real job. I was, I had a, I had a lovely, very, very supporting girlfriend at the time who was helping me out with, uh, with just kind of life and uh, reacclimation to everything. And I was just working odd jobs in the service industry, waiting tables, valeting cars. I mean, I, I don't know, I've probably had like 50 different jobs doing all that type of stuff. And poetry, that, that was my thing. I, I did modeling and acting and all that type of stuff when I was much younger. So I had had a taste of that. And I kind of was looking at what I could do with my life, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I felt really good at writing. And when I would go to these poetry slams, I mean, I would get standing ovations from huge rooms of people and great energy. And I was like, man, cool. This is like, that's what I pursued for a while. And that's what happened for, other than the odds and ends, kind of meaningless jobs, I think. Um Poetry was my thing until I ended up in IT, and that's when the it, like that was my second. Exp I felt that was my second experience teaching outside of doing speaking at the youth uh, facilities for the kids that were there, uh, like in juvie and stuff like that. Poetry slams. I felt like I was teaching people things. I felt like I was teaching people what not to do by sharing my experience of my bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah, and that led to we created the first team, created the first poetry slam team in West Palm Beach to compete to compete in the national slam. Uh, like went to a couple regional slams, like in Georgia. We were always competing in Miami and uh, like in South Beach and West Palm Beach, and and then <clears throat> that's uh, I guess when uh, Russell Simmons caught on to uh, wanting to make a show. He just saw these cats spitting rhymes everywhere without music and without beats right. most of the time, and it was a big thing. It was a huge thing for quite some time before then, but it just really started to pick up and HBO was going around doing showcases, trying to get people on their HBO deaf, deaf poetry jam, deaf poetry slam. I think it was deaf poetry jam mm -hmm. after like deaf comedy jam. Right. Uh, so that was th that, that's kind of where that experience ended because it, it just, uh, it put a bad taste in my mouth for the entertainment industry again at that point where, uh, and just it, 
felt like I was surrounded more by fake people at uh-huh. that point, at least so in, sucking in that the aspect. Art, sucking the art out of it and infusing it with the business part of it. A little, Yeah, yeah, kind of, which kind of seems to happen with everything. It's like the American way, but... Yeah. Uh, but at that point, I wasn't open to it, and I wasn't receptive to it, and and I allowed it to like, uh, I allowed it to piss me off and deter me from uh, trying to make a living out of it. I still wrote for a little while, but it wasn't my main focus. And that's when the uh, the more responsible girlfriend and my mother and a, f- a couple other outside influences were like. Uh, so you know, what are you going to do to make money? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, you know, I always like gadgets. I like to play with toys and then I grew up on video games and all this type of stuff. I was like, why don't I just get in? At that point, it was like, let's just get into computers. I was like, I had no clue what about computers I wanted to learn or know. I sucked and always hate. I hate math, uh, uh, at least math intricate enough where it's necessary to understand it to pass things like computer science degrees with trig and all of those things sure. that, that that aspect of computers didn't interest me but once i started to find out and understand a bit about electronics uh and electricity and networking and and how things and how computers connected that's what was like oh i love like that i understand i like i understand how to make things connect i understand how to set up a server so you can you know, log into your email and stuff like that and, right. and those types of things that, that clicked. So I went to a, a, a tech school for a few years and that's how I ended up in IT. Tried college, like a traditional college. And right. was, ah, maybe math and English and literature will be good for me, but it just side my mind does not. It's just one more narrow focused at that point. Wanted just everything that had to do with computers. Sure. And screw everything else. So And it worked for you at the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was like 15 years ago almost now. Uh, yeah, a little bit less. Uh, and then for 15 years, man, you've you've seen it all. You've sold computers. You've you, you've done you, networking. You had your own IT thing happening. Yeah, the, worked worked for other people. Been around the world mm-hmm. teaching. Yeah, that was uh, the corporate experience and teaching. I think is when you know since yeah, we can you, focus got yourself on a pair teaching. Of slacks and yeah, button down yeah, shirt. Yeah, it was funny to see my brother's reactions when they saw me in like a suit and tie for the right. first few times. It was just like uh, <laughs> they probably didn't recognize me at first. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's yeah, like the poetry slam stuff kind of coincided with the computer schooling. So like working at a CompUSA while I was going to school and doing poetry slam stuff. So there was a bit of a crossover. But yeah, once it stopped, it was I was suited up and I was ready to uh, in my mind, I was I was gonna conform that's what i was that's that's what it was in my mind is like ah, oh, i guess i gotta do this this real world shit and and make and make a living for myself and move out uh-huh. where i was and yeah and that worked yeah it worked and so you started mm-hmm. getting a salary at some point yeah it set up uh you know i did right after i don't even think i was done with school and i was just i was starting to this like entrepreneur was coming out of me and i was just like i want to I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. I can, I don't need to be where I was. I just want to create things for myself. Uh, me and a friend started a really small managed IT services company in Florida called Splitback. Uh, we just did home installations, helped uh, a lot of the wealthy people in Palm Beach set up stuff in their house mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And I felt like it was too new. It was premature. I just too soon out of school. I didn't know what I was doing as much as I thought I might have needed to. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I was always playing video games. I like this is how I ended up in Houston about 10 years ago. 
and uh, always playing video games. And once you're in that type of subculture and the games, same games all the time, you play with the same people all the time. So I was always playing with this one guy that lived in Houston. And I went on a trip to Toronto with my girlfriend one time and stopped in Houston. And we were playing games before, you know, setting it up. What am I going to do in my layover? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, cool. Come on, come pick you up. We'll take you out to lunch. And this was really strange. My first ever experience meeting somebody uh, through the internet, you know, that uh -huh. was just like unreal to me. And uh, I was traveling, ripped jeans, T-shirt, whatever, just a mess. And these guys come pick me up in like business casual attire. They're all sophisticated. And, you know, picking me up and getting me back to the airport on time. Little but, did they know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was. A cool experience and and they got me back to the airport on time so that was a ended up making it positive and he'd always been joking hey if you want a job in houston let me know if the split back thing doesn't work out and uh it, and it wasn't working out i called him let him know it's like hey what about that job he's like oh, i'll call you back in 15 minutes I'm like all right cool and he calls me back in 15 minutes he's like yeah one of my clients they've been looking for a full-time guy for a while so you got a job i was like oh shit okay so you know like where am i going to stay or is there apartments around there and this and that and he's like i'll call you back in 15 minutes like okay this is getting weird uh right. so he calls me back and he's like all right talk to my wife uh, she says it's cool you just come stay with me for as long as you need find out where you want to live i packed all my stuff in my jetta and drove to houston two weeks later and just left and that started my real it career i guess you could say yeah man yeah. And so, and so you worked with him for, uh, for how long? Uh, I worked, uh, he got me a job with one of his clients. Uh -huh. So that was me, uh, working by myself at this place. It was an architectural firm. Are you like an it's, independent it's contractor? Kinda, or no, you no, it's, it's interesting in this interview, it would probably make sense, uh, to a lot of people. Uh, I worked for PBK architects and oh, they, yeah. they, they build like almost schools. all of the schools yeah, around here. I know uh, I'm well, man. Yeah. So, uh, I was, I ended up being the manager of the IT department for PBK architects and it just, um, that was about four or five, about four and a half, almost five years. Yeah. And then it just uh, became something monotonous to me. It just wasn't holding my interest. So I wanted to go into, uh, I guess, the real managed IT services outsourcing world. So that's when I went to go actually work with my friend that got me the job. Uh -huh. And that was cool. That was a cool change. And like before PBK, there wasn't a lot of teaching opportunity for me uh, other than the people that I managed, just making sure they knew stuff. But it was when I got into uh, CHR Solutions, which was the last company that I worked for. That's when, uh, to follow up with you saying about me traveling the world, teaching a little bit. Yeah. Um, they had an office in India. Excuse me. So they, they sent me to India to teach uh, our office out there for a few weeks on the stuff that we were doing here in the States. Man, this is crazy. So, <laughs> so now you're in India. Yeah. And, um, and this is how long ago at this point? Wait, this it, was about... Three years ago, and it, three and, or four years ago, and so, at some point, man, you 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 with within all this here in Houston, somehow yeah. you get into this parkour thing, yeah. And so you got this parkour thing going on. You got this yoga background. You've 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 been thinking about this mind body thing, and you have this wacky, completely different IT world. Yeah, it's big contrast. Yeah. <laughs> and um, at what point do you, does it start? Does the, the is does the seed because the seed's in there, but now it starts to blossom in your mind of you know what, man? There, you know, because this this hustler part of you, that's not 
that's just like part of your DNA. Yeah. yeah where where I, you know, I'm going to make some money somehow. You know what? Maybe I can follow this passion for movement and parkour and really make that my living as well as my lifestyle. Yeah, and so uh, at, at what point does that all start coming together in your head? It was... I'd probably been training. I've been, I was introduced to parkour about five years ago. And I think it only really, it took maybe about a, a little more than a year for me to start to think that I could show other people how to do what I was doing. Um, didn't, I guess, didn't even really take it too seriously because it was just a common, a casual thing where we were. Uh, I mean, the last thing I was, uh, in, in, in the words of, uh, the founder of MoveNat for some time, I, I was a, a zoo human for a while, uh, going to the gym, I was playing racket sports, uh, using all of the machines to allow me to move in the way the machines were designed to move. And, and it was, uh, a very plain monotonous thing. And once I found parkour, it, it was it was a culmination of everything that I had ever learned in life, like literally movement or not. It, it was, is edu education of my physicality and of my men, of my, of, of my brain, of my mentality of, of just being able to un understand myself in a way that I really only ever experienced when I was starting to get into yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Before I, uh, before I, I guess I, when I look at it now, before I allowed myself to kind of conform to the corporate way of, of things mm -hmm. and, and my, my creativity and my, that artistic side of me was, had no place there. So it kind of felt like it was lost for me for a little bit. So when the movement came back in, that's when it just, it started to engage my mind. Like my mind hadn't been engaged since I had been creative like that. Yeah, and so what's what's really cool about it is now you know all these ingredients have come together. Where like the structure from the boot camp, you call it the hustle. I call it the entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. there's that part of your DNA. It's already you kind of born that way. It's who you were growing up, and you were selling candy at school, making money. You know, you know other people call it fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> you had your own little fundraising business, that whole politically correct thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so there's there's a structure, this entrepreneurship. You you have this uh, you have now now you have connected with Miss Adams you have you're figuring some things out on your own about yourself you're, you're sitting in a group you're forgiving people um, from stealing your car you're learning about your parents you and and we and you but uh, now you have this business background so you're learning how business works and at the same time now there's this parkour thing which is growing and and you and you talk about the you make you now brings your mind back into it and your physicality but really once you really get into it it brings in the yoga stuff this emotional and spiritual component to it which a lot of people don't really even get yeah. until you have a kid that kind of goes through it then you kind of see some results in your kid from mm -hmm. it and then um and 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 at this point in your life, man, you 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 make the big decision that you're gonna you're gonna step away from this this suited up role that you're playing in the corporate world and move into this 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 parkour, the urban movement, the move nat thing, and use all that you've learned yeah. as not just a lifestyle, but as as a way to make a living. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It um, it just saw myself in the other people I was teaching that I hadn't seen before. 
and um, that really hit home with me and made me feel that euphoric creative type of feeling that I hadn't felt in, in some time. And that's when I, I just started to think to myself and made a decision that I want to start to learn about the human body as much as I have learned to know about computers. So that's the major, that's how it plays in my head that it, it seems, uh, I don't know, I guess it makes sense to me in that way. Yeah. Just, it'll take time, but this is after a while, uh, what will happen because huh? this is already the path that I've set myself on. So we started, um, that's w one of the reasons why we started urban movement is one of my personal reasons, but also with the couple of the other directors, it's, they were experiencing the same sort of thing, the same sort of liberation through movement and the self discovery process and the sharing process. And then there's the, then we were noticing we're like the over 30 crowd. I'm not sure if that has much to do with um, a lot of the parkour community being very young, but I mean, we started to see a couple of the things that just the other guys that were younger and around us just weren't seeing uh, just, just different potentially negative approaches to the movement that could create harm in someone's life and not positive stuff that we were feeling and experiencing. So we felt we could teach we teach people how to move we we were understanding it we were we met the founders we the founders came into they came into austin texas we met them we trained with them and we had this connection with them where we were already starting to share the discipline in the way that they intended from when they created it and and it was it was like oh like a validation in a way that I kind of, we got, the, we got the hang of this thing. Like, wow, we must really understand the way that they intended it and having that sort of influence and, and backing and communication with the people that created this thing that we were doing. It, it was just, there were all the pieces were putting, putting themselves in place for us to create urban movement and to do this for what will hopefully be a lifestyle and a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, I think that, that, that people don't get, you know, it's a lifestyle part. But you know what I'm thinking about right now, dude, is like mm -hmm. if you think about um, the way you describe the IT business and how it made sense is exactly what you described about parkour and how IT is this metaphor for parkour where you talked about what made sense is you're getting these things to talk to each other and the communication between computers <laughs> and like even like and the support that might be called the help desk but, yeah, sure. yeah, but whatever but really you know parkour is the same thing almost where like here you know to, to put urban movement together you had to have all those components in place where you have that whether you have communication back and forth you know these people are talking to these people we have support now and and so you create this this thing and you know and i mean it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a lifestyle yeah it's 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 a teaching program for kids it's um and it's awesome man so my kids in it you know and i'm not you know i'm his dad but listen he's pretty awesome he's mm -hmm. a he, he's a, he's like a little physical specimen man he's yeah, um, he's, he's into a it ninja yes <laughs> and uh and but he's always he, he's been you know always you know man he's been back flipping off the couch for years and now we put him in parkour class where he can you know do it in an environment where he has a mentor and an adult that he can look up to and live it and, and to learn how to live his life in a productive manner and somebody that has a story that that has overcome and, and I mean just an incredible list of obstacles to get where they are now, which has this depth of character. 
you know, in 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 instead of just kind of like this shallow figure yeah. they're, where they're told to look up to him because they, they because they're told to yeah because they have to or yeah like because that. they're they're because well they're the leader of the class you pay so attention to him yeah right <laughs> but but it's a different scene in parkour you know the way all the kids come together we all get down on one level and yeah. say we but i'm watching you know and um and uh, i mean instead of instead of hey get down from there yeah it's, it's hey let me show you how to do that safely right let me show you how to do that right so yeah, it's all, and, and it's and it's all by example. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and so in class, you know, you know, we, you know, in the biology class, we might call it a lab. You know, we get your hands-on experience. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But in parkour, parkour lab, <laughs> yeah, that's what the, the whole thing is yeah, that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's a conditioning approach to it, where you have to build some conditioning to get to the level of skill, and then you build upon those skills as we get to the next skill. Which in in school we might call that math, because you have to learn yeah, this, yeah, you have sure. to learn uh, you know multiple. Yeah, you know, before you can learn multiply, you have to add, subtract, and you know all that. So in parkour, it's the same approach. It's just done physically for those kids that are really kinesthetic. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the hands-on part of it, I think, is is the most engaging part. I mean, I guess the kinesthetic parts you keep on touching on. Yeah, I mean, if there's if if there's more to do, then you know, I mean, if a parkour class was me was them coming in and I was just showing them videos and talking about parkour and and writing and using a whiteboard and just parkour is this and this is how you do this in parkour and this is how you do that in parkour without a lot of real world hands-on type of experience of it uh yeah i mean nobody would come to parkour class no <laughs> so it'd be you. i mean it'd be <laughs> i mean i see a very similar connection to how we were just touching on with a classroom another classroom setting or, or like a, a school classroom setting where yeah. uh you, you're not you just don't engage everyone with a, a book and a dry erase marker I mean, there's got to be something else, something more, something different to yeah. connect to the kids that don't give a shit to learn that way. Yeah. Or just won't learn that way no matter how many times you shove it in their face. Right. And there's kids that you have made the choice that I'm not going to learn that way. But there's also kids that, you know, in a, in a, in a in, you know, from the brain, they can't learn that way. Mm, yeah. They just can't. Right. They're not built that way. They have to learn differently. And, um, and, and you know, for parkour, man, I think that is such a great uh, uh, a vehicle for kids to learn about that. Uh, you know, one, you know, what I love about it is connecting with other kids, and that that and that that support where they learn, like you guys model how to be supportive of each other, no matter what the level of the kid. Yeah, it's cooperation over competition always. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and and some kids are a little bit more advanced than the others, and some kids just physically. Just they're just not there yet. Their yeah, body yeah, has yeah. not matured, or they haven't made that connection that has to happen, you know, through the nervous system yep. to get over that thing, and 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 watch him struggle. But you know, the next kid is supporting him anyway. Yeah, it's it's so much uh, just as physical as the movement discipline is that we are trying to teach. It, it is mental. I mean, and it's uh, we train just as much to overcome fear as we do to overcome a physical obstacle i mean because most of the time if someone isn't going to go over or under or around an obstacle we put in their path it's because they're afraid for some reason or another so the idea then becomes to take a step back get everything into perspective and understand how to break down the fear so you can overcome the obstacle and it we try to teach it in a way where it's not looked at like it's just a box or just a wall you know we even talk about it in the class in, in a way sometimes where 
you know, this translates to life. <laughs> it, it's, uh, I mean, the same sorts of ways you learn how to uh, handle your fear in something like training physically with parkour is the same sort of thing with fear. I might feel a nervousness before going to have an interview with you yeah. or before I go to teach this new move nat stuff that I'm doing, traveling around, teaching brand new people that I've never seen before and they're just supposed to pay attention and they're supposed to learn from me. And like on the onset, that's, that's, that, that creates a lot of fear. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, and not having uh, is very recently, two weeks ago, I took a combatives course for this move nat discipline that I'm also involved in. And then the combatives course was the first time in a really long time that I was, that I was voluntarily forced into outside of my comfort zone and being able to feel a rush of rage slash adrenaline being put in a combative type of situation was unfamiliar to me. I was like, do I have a headache? Do I have a stomach ache? You know, what is going on with these things? I haven't felt like that type of adrenaline in, in, in a long time. Sure. And in order to get better in a combative type of situation in order for me to be able to protect myself and be able to control my reactions in the event that I end up in an emergency situation like that in my life, the better I'm going to be at it is going to be as a result of my training in it and, and training that fear and training the movements that happen in parkour translate like there there's you, you just can't stop it from translating to the rest of your life it just happens automatically yeah and that's one of the main points we tried to drive home when, when we're describing the types of movements and why we're even doing a movement why are you even making a choice to make that jump like why not just oh, jump from there to there it's like think about it why why do you even want to and those types of processes are really is the difference that we see in the way we deliver our classes and then the results from the students, especially kids like your, like your son, for sure. Yeah, man, with kids, because what we want, listen, I th you know, the odds of my kid being some sort of a parkour professional, yeah. you know, making money at parkour are probably pretty slim. But what we want is exactly that, you know, why to, to have a thought before, not just parkour, but when he goes through life, well, okay, well, here's just this obstacle or this challenge. Why would I even want to do it? Why should I do it? Do I really want to do it? Yeah. And, and have an answer. And then also when he meets a challenge, whether in parkour, it might be the wall or the bars or, or going over the obstacle, the box, whatever, you know. First of all, he has to think, and, he, and, and at seven, he already thinks, well, first of all, I mean, do I even have the skill? Yeah. And maybe I don't. Mm -hmm. And maybe now it's not the right time for that challenge. Yeah. Just like you with split back. That was a great challenge you put in front of you, but you know what? You probably didn't have the skills to make it happen yeah, at yeah, the time. Yeah, for sure. You know? Well, with parkour, you know, now he's learning, you know, well, maybe I don't even have the skill to accomplish that. And if I think why I would even want to do it, maybe that doesn't even make sense knowing I don't have the skill. But with parkour, what we, what we learn is the why and the what and the how and the when and the where. And if all that lines up perfectly together, well, then, now he moves forward. Yeah. Which, I mean, dude, I mean, most people go to their grave with ever, without ever you know, putting all that together. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely And here's you standing before, <laughs> you know, a group of, a circle of seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve year olds on, on Friday afternoons, you know, for an hour and ten or fifteen minutes, you know, instilling this in kids. And man, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's worked out so far. I think I think we're doing a good job in the way that 
being able to see the results. Like, I guess if, I mean, I would, I probably, if it wasn't working or if it didn't work for myself, I don't think that we'd see it working for the kids and then I wouldn't probably be running or trying to run urban movement. It would be the same sort of thing like split back, be like, oh, shit, we've got a lot more to learn. Let's go back and, uh, you know, close the doors for a little while and figure out this thing a little bit more. But it's, but because of the three directors of urban movements, prior life experience, the way it's that we've just put the stuff together and been able to, uh, have exposure to the people who started the movement and all of that has been able to, uh, really solidify and, and give us, uh, a, a good, uh, a good feeling for how to get people to move in their mind and with their body. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we've, and you know, so far we've just talked mostly about kids because I, you know, I have a background in teaching and you know, my yeah, kids in it, but man, this isn't just for kids. You guys also focus on, I mean, any adults yeah. are coming in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have students from seven years old to like 60 something years old and we have Doctors, lawyers, students, insurance reps, uh, people, you know, grocery store clerks, yeah. uh, students, everybody. I mean, yeah, it's, it's because it's not, I mean, because it's movement. And like you said before, it's play. Yeah. Right. I mean, everybody knows it as play. And we just only really stop playing. Yeah. Everybody plays for some period of, but then something happens where... Uh, yeah, I don't. It's different for everyone. Like you said, everyone has a story, but um, everyone knows how to do it. And if you do it again as an adult, especially if you haven't done it for a really long time, I mean, like a doctor, someone told me some sort of comparison to every day you don't move or don't do anything athletic to strengthen your heart. It's the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes. Like you might as well smoke. I mean, not advocating smoking right. obviously but like that's how much damage you do to yourself over and over a longer period of time of inactivity and leaving living a sedentary lifestyle yeah. is uh is just it's damaging to your body and i i want to be able to do these things when i'm 70 you know what i mean and i want that type of approach to people's movement in life where it's i mean even in the realm of my own life of being brought up thinking that I need these things that I was hustling for, you know, that I, that I got to have the nice TV and the nice clothes and the car or and the nice job and all of that stuff. It's just, uh, there, there, there is a, a progression for everything and those types of things. If they're going to last and be a good positive influence in your life, it's going to take time. It's not something that, you just watch a video on come to our class and people are like, uh, so we're going to jump off a roof. It's like, <laughs> boom. it's like in life. You yeah. know what I mean, it's like, are you going to start out as the executive? Boom. You know what I mean? You got to slow and low. You start from the ground up with everything and we try to translate that through movement for sure. Yeah. And you know, I, I've always, um, you know, for some reason in my mind, what makes sense for people to really get it is like this. Um, when you, when you talk to somebody who had a great martial arts experience and I'm not saying it cause you know, a lot of people don't, but the goal isn't, you know, the, the odds you, you know, having to use any of those silly skills, yeah. pretty remote, very remote, 
But what's the difference is parkour. These are things we're going to do every day of yeah. your life, walking around. But yet, what comes along with it is still all the all the all the va- the value system that is learned through the martial arts, yeah. where you know about respect and integrity and and supporting your each other as as long as you as well as yourself and all those things that we want to teach kids and adults and whoever. Mm-hmm. There's no age for it. But the difference is actually they're actually using this yeah, stuff every totally, day. Yeah, that's I mean. The practical application of all of the things yeah. that we learn is 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 like the highlight of it. Where where the kid that comes out of taekwondo after four years, the odds of him having to use some sort of roundhouse back kick, yeah, yeah, <laughs> on Friday, yeah, pretty slim. Uh, yeah, pretty, yeah. <laughs> I mean, every yeah, absolutely, everything is, and that's even in the class. Like I said, analyzing why are you going to do a jump? Not only like why are you going to do a jump, but why might you need to be able to jump like this in your life sometime? I mean, yeah, you. are it's very uh, few and far between that the emergency situation is going to happen to you where you might uh, need some skills like this, but the opportunity to be able to have the confidence of yourself to know that you can, if you need to be strong for a family member or for a friend or for some stranger that might, might need your help. Maybe it's not you that needs the help. Maybe it's somebody else. And if you're not strong, and if you haven't trained these types of things to be do to be able to do something like get both of your feet off of the ground at the same time, like just this is a major challenge for an adult who hasn't moved or exercised in a while. You get them to bring both feet off of the ground at the same time and they're scared out of their wits. And I've seen people standing at at that what was like an eighteen inch box. Yeah. And you would think they're about to jump across a grand, grand, grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the look and, in their eye. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna and, jump up onto that and, and then off of that. Yeah, and it's yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's it's complex, and I think to be able to understand this about yourself, uh, yeah, translates translates everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing, man. Um, in uh, in you know, in the lives of kids, you know, um. Man, there's uh, there's always relationships that kids have that will last uh, forever, and 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 sometimes they'll they'll uh, remember the name and the specific uh, things and, and what we always say, you know, kids will, you know, you know kids are gonna forget what the the content of what you teach them, but they'll they'll forever remember how you made them feel, mm-hmm. and then eventually they're gonna start associating those emotions to the content that you taught them and it's going to connect within the kid's heart and they're going to remember that the content because of how, because of how you made them feel and the whole thing kind of works crazy like that but they take this information with them through life and that's what I love about you and Mandy and Wes and I don't know the new guy's name he's just been coming Ra yeah man what's his name Ra Ra yeah. <laughs> awesome yeah. you know and that dude is that kid's like that kid's like a puma it's <laughs> yeah, crazy sure. to watch that dude and, uh, and 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 the feeling that these kids leave look I don't you know I don't know every detail because I'm not in the class but here's what I know is uh, my kid walks away uh, sweaty, and he walks away feeling good about himself, and he walks away talking to me all the way home about what they learned that day, mm-hmm. and um, and he loves it. And dude, and because of that, man, I love you and all that you bring to the lives of those kids, and it's such a beautiful experience. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. All right, let me leave you with this. Here's here's the last story. So uh, I had to go to a wedding. Ugh, I hate weddings. And uh, and and I'm with Jones, you know, family go. Anyway, we pull up to this. Uh, there's a church uh, kind of outside of downtown, and uh, and we we get to the back. We find a parking space in the back of it. Jones is like, "Oh my god, look at that!" 
And I'm looking, you know, like what? He goes right there. I'm like, opportunistic. Like, I go, I go, what, man? He goes, I goes, look at that. Like, I'm like looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? And I'm, I'm, I'm what was there? A rat is there? <laughs> he <laughs> I mean, sees like, a jump. <laughs> and so what it is, he's got the. It's like a little kind of where you park your car. That it's a. It's bigger than the typical. The thing that makes you stop. Your wheels will go over. You know, whatever mm-hmm. that thing's called. It's a little bit bigger than that. But then there's this wall, probably four feet. And it, that thing might be, it's about four feet away, and it might be maybe five feet high. Nice. And then above that is this this railing that is, is kind of like a corrugated metal thing, but it's all rounded with handles and with bars on it. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so there he is. In his, I could totally climb that. <laughs> there he is in his uh, his because we're at a wedding, so he's got his best jeans oh, on, right, his yeah. best sneakers, <laughs> his best shirt. And he's got his clip on tie, and uh, and he gets out of the car and he's like sizing it up, you know, sizing. I said, "All right, man, let's go in, and get the presents in there." And we'll we'll come back out. Nice. And so uh, sure enough, we're in there. We kind of, you know, make sure the wedding's not started yet. We still got about 30 minutes before the whole ceremony begins. We go outside and he just can't wait to attack that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he runs, he jumps, he does the cat thing where he lands, like sticks to the wall, you know, yeah. and he figures out how to climb himself up to the top rail and he goes all the way down this thing and then turns around so he's got his back now. And then, and so it's like five feet down to maybe a little two foot, thing six feet away and he jumps off and lands hands out boom right on the toes yeah man that's cool like a cat yeah he picks up good yeah and he looks at me gives me the nod yeah he was, of course they want to make sure you see them do it yeah. sometimes they will look at you in midair and right like don't oh, no, that's dangerous <laughs> focus <laughs> and uh but listen man what a story dude and, and uh you know when, when i hear things like this i, I just get I, I know i know man that the thousands of teachers that listen they're already they're already thinking and you know, man, about a kid they had in their class they're going to check in with or a kid that, that's going to walk through, that's, you know, going to cross the threshold of the classroom door coming up here in August. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're going to think, you know what, man, this kid, this, this silent kid, the yeah. one that thinks he's going to get through my class living this anonymous lifestyle, there's no way. Because I'm going to stop that kid at the door. I'm making a connection. I'm going to look at him in the eye. Pull him up. And I'm going to find out what this kid's life is about. And and what I say is I'm putting this kid on my hit list. Nice, yeah, there you go. And I'm putting I like I'm, that. I'm writing this kid's name on my three by five card. I put it in my wallet, and this kid is not leaving my classroom without getting his life changed. <laughs> yeah, he's I, mine. I like that. Or you can figure out how to get parkour classes in your school. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Make it easy on everybody. <laughs> awesome, brother. Thanks for coming in, man. Thank you, man. Thanks, Hal. Dude, awesome. Thanks you for all, all that you do for kids. And uh, and also when you go back, man, give my best to everybody, all those uh, influential adults of influence over at Urban Movement that are changing lives, man. We appreciate it. Will do. Thanks. Bring it up top. Later. That's how we do it. Oh. All right. Cool.